The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I ask, as always this morning, that we join our hearts together in prayer. Living God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As I alluded to in the announcements this morning, I think I need to stop being so darn scared of Holy Trinity Sunday when it appears every year in our lectionary calendar. I've heard this Sunday in particular by colleagues mentioned with shudders Some affectionately refer to this as Seminarian Sunday, where a long-tenured parish pastor invites the seminarian home because they are afraid of committing some ancient heresy in their sermon. I've heard it also called Vacation Sunday, where pastors leave to prevent preaching some ancient heresy in their sermon. One member of my former congregation affectionately referred to this Sunday as My Sunday to Lay Preach, because Senate Assembly always fell on that Sunday, and the pastor would turn preaching over to him, probably to avoid some ancient heresy in their sermon. Because the history of the church is rife with these ancient heresies, or statements that defy the orthodox belief of the church, when it comes to this work of defining the very nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this unique relationship of Holy Trinity. Modalism, Arianism, Adoptionism, Apollinarianism, Docetism, Pneumomatomachians, Melchizedekians, the list goes on. All of these ancient heresies have divided the church for centuries. But I realized this week I should probably stop being so scared of Holy Trinity Sunday. Because I started looking back on some major milestones in my life, and I realized that many have fallen on this liturgical day. June 14, 1992, I was baptized. And a quick look at the Google calendar that showed me the liturgical calendar in 1992 showed me that I was baptized on Holy Trinity Sunday. On June 10, 2017, I was ordained at Virginia Synod Assembly. And the texts that were used for that worship service were the appointed texts for Holy Trinity the next morning. And last year, I was even married on Holy Trinity Sunday. See what I mean about pastors taking vacations to not (laughs) preach Holy Trinity? I had never connected the dots before, but I'm grateful for this liturgical connection. And for some reason, this liturgical connection gave me a sense of peace that I needed to proclaim the promise of a God who is Trinity. As I was united to the body of Christ through the waters, as I was uniting my vocation with God's calling, As I was united with my love and the bonds of holy matrimony, the church gathered around a word that proclaimed the very nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be found in unity. But take hearts, friends. 
You do not need a personal liturgical connection to the Holy Trinity to approach this subject unafraid. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity is our human means of expressing the inexpressible nature of God. It is in this way understandable that trying to wrap our head around the doctrine of the Trinity can be a stumbling block to faith. And yet it's not meant to be. And each year we try to proclaim what this means. I'm not saying that I'm going to get it 100% right today but I'll give it a faithful attempt. Because as a church, we agree on these three confessions that express the Trinitarian relationship. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Now, we're not going to use the full Athanasian Creed in worship today because that thing is very, very long. But I'd like to give it a day in the sun today. It provides what I've found to be a helpful definition of the nature of a God who is one in three. It begins by saying that this is the faith of the church. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. And then after much repetitive explanation, it concludes, and in this Trinity, no one is before or after, greater or less than the other, but all three persons are in themselves co-eternal and co-equal. And so we must worship the Trinity in unity and the one God in three persons. Simple, right? Makes perfect sense. We can see here why this is a stumbling block. Even this, a great definition of the Trinity that is meant to reveal the nature of God in unity can feel, in the end, a bit convoluted, cumbersome. One God in three persons just sounds like a bad math problem, right? Let's let's do this math. Got through first grade, so I think we can do this. What's one plus one? Two. Two. And what's that plus one? Three. Three. Okay, there we go. One plus one plus one equals three. One. I heard somebody say, how, how do we get there? How can one father plus one son plus one Holy Spirit possibly allow us to worship one God? Are we not a monotheistic tradition? I got a little stuck in that math question because I, I, I get that. When people ask about the Holy Trinity, I got stuck in the math this week. And Jesus in today's gospel starts to make a little more sense as he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Okay, I get it. It's a nice way of saying you can't handle the truth. Maybe the math is too hard. Maybe God just doesn't add up. Maybe we're supposed to leave it to the mystery of God that we can't comprehend and move on. But let's remember what we know. Jesus says many times that he and the Father are one. We hear in our first lesson from Proverbs that wisdom was present at creation and she delighted in our creation. We hear the promises in the waters of holy baptism that we too are made one in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And at this table, we have a communion, a oneness with the saints as we are united with Christ in his holy supper. How can one and one and one be made one? Perhaps our old equation is using the wrong operator. In mathematics, there is a plus sign and a minus sign that are both operators telling us to add or subtract. And our first grade math tells us that one plus one plus one equals three, but let's jump for a moment to second grade math. What is one times one? One. And what's that one times one? One. 
Trinity in unity. God's very nature is not adding, but multiplying to the ends of the earth. We confess that we as church are not disparate members, but through the waters of holy baptism, we are one in Christ our Lord. What peace that may bring to Christ's followers today who might obsess over and wring their hands over numbers. There will be no cause to look gloomily across a sanctuary and say, Ah, oh, we have only 30 here this week. Or a few weeks ago we had 50. And a few years ago we had 100. There is only ever one body gathered to worship the Lord. This is what we profess when we confess our faith in Trinity. We profess that we are one body united in God's very nature of unity. We are one body united in the bonds of love. We, in the waters of holy baptism, are not adding new members, but we are multiplying the body to reflect our unity with our Creator God, Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Consider then when trouble befalls the church. Consider when disagreement creeps among us. We may lament subtracting members from our midst and roles when tensions arise and bonds are broken. Since the beginning of the church, there has been schisms, and yet has all been lost. No. Let's do some third grade math now. If we are one in Christ, one times one times one, and someone is divided from our number, tell me what one divided by one equals. One. Yes, church, we will face division. We will face discord and disagreement and feud over interpretation. We will sin and stray and resist. We will walk boldly beyond where others can comfortably go in the cause of justice, and we will find ourselves divided. We will all one day face death of our loved ones or of ourselves, and yet we are still one in Christ. Are you fighting with a neighbor? You are one in the love of God. Are you angry with a family member? You are one in the love of God. Are you filled with hatred for an enemy? You are one in the love of God. There is both challenge and promise in this truth. The very nature of God is unity. And in creation, God sought unity with us. God loved us into being, and the power that makes us one, even in the midst of multiplication and division, is love. As Paul writes, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to, Paul says, separate us. I say divide us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said so eloquently in his letter from a Birmingham jail, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are united in love. We are united in hope. We are united in promise. We are united by the very nature of the God who loved us into being, poured out love on the cross, and descended in love on Pentecost. And no division will change 
the nature of God. One times one times one. Love times love times love. Peace times peace times peace. Hope times hope times hope. Justice times justice times justice. Through each of us who profess our faith in this God who is unity, these things, love, peace, hope, and justice are multiplying. We will face division, but even division does not change the nature of God. There is and always will be a place for you in the oneness of God. Our God was, is, and ever will be love. And so today, as I say farewell to you, dear saints of Good Shepherd Evangelical Lutheran Church in Lexington, Virginia, I am filled with peace. This is not a peace that I've manufactured, but it is a peace that belongs to our Creator, was given to our Redeemer to share, and touches our lives again and again through the sanctifier who declares the things to come. And what is to come is love. We were created by love, we share love, and we will return to love. I am sure of that promise. And it is love I leave you with. I must apologize to you because in the six months I've been here, I have only preached to you one sermon. It goes like this. God loves you. I love you. That's it. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. God loves you. God loved you to death and back again, and you have been given the gift of grace. Through this gift of grace, we have been granted everlasting life, and this is not accomplished by our own doing and our own works so that we might boast, but it's a gift from God, and you know what? That's, that's nuance, and we can unpack that in another sermon. The point is God loves you, and each sermon has been an opportunity to expound on that promise. God loves you. And in these months, I've shared with you my heart. I've tried to be authentic and passionate honest in struggles with God's word and what it means for our lives today, and wrestle in community with you through sadness and joy, despair and hope. And I hope you've heard that promise too, that I love you. And as we are all sent out as disciples and evangelists of this good news, I don't think it's promise, I don't think it's possible to separate those two promises. God loves you and I love you. To share God's love for each of us is to share our love for one another. I do not believe it's possible to share the good news of Jesus Christ while hating another person. In the proclamation of God's love, we are united in God's love. In our trust in God, this love multiplies. In our sharing of love, this God multiplies. Love times love times love. And though we go our separate ways, I give thanks for the spirit of the living God that binds us in all truth. Though we as a church will face division and death, though we will face distance and circumstances keeping us apart, we are eternally one in Christ our Lord. We are united in love times love times love, times hope times hope times hope, times creator, redeemer, times sanctifier, times one times one times one, Amen.